Okay, a short intro for today's Sports Beat KC, the Stars Daily Sports Podcast, because we go long today. It's Thursday, December 3rd, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. Sam Mellinger, Vahe Gregorian, Herbie Tiopi, and Sam McDowell are here to talk the Chiefs. It started as a Sports Beat Live and now presented as a Sports Beat KC podcast. We cover the impact of the Steelers' outcome on Wednesday, who has the inside track for the AFC's top seed. We talk about the pass rush and Frank Clark's play. We also cover the psychology of the Chiefs' trick plays this year. Plus, we get into your questions and comments. So, let's get going. Hey, hello. Welcome to Sports Beat Live, the Kansas City Stars weekly meet and greet, where we talk Chiefs with you and the people who cover the Chiefs for the Star. Let's see who is in the house this morning. Sam Mellinger's here. What's up, Sam? What's going on? Um, nicely quaffed. Vahe Gregorian is here. And those aren't my words. That's producer Beth who who noticed this. Well, you can go a long way with a hairbrush <laughs> and busting out a little vintage sweater. We got a little reunion pen football uh, uh, call with Coach Burnt tonight. So I thought I'd get in the mood. Well, very good. That, that, that'll be fun. That'll be fun. Yeah. Herbie Tiopi is here. Irby, what's up? In the house, baby. In the house. What's going on, guys? Good to see you, Irby. And Sam McDowell is going to join us uh, in just a moment. Uh, we will, uh, uh, we'll be happy to say hi to Sam when he gets here. Okay, guys. Um, Tampa Bay in the rearview mirror. Denver on the way. Uh, this on Sunday night football. Uh, I, I, I guess when the schedule makers, uh, you know, had, had their pick of games, I wondered why Tampa Bay was a late afternoon CBS game and Broncos at, at Kansas City was a, uh, a Sunday night uh, feature game. I guess you can't put every Patrick Mahomes Chiefs game in prime time. I just thought maybe these two would have been switched around, but uh, so be it. The, the Broncos at Arrowhead on Sunday night football. Let's start where we usually do. Herbie, um, uh, it, uh, n- not a long injury report, but I, there's a significant one there, especially when it comes to special teams. Yeah, there's a significant one there with Dorian O'Daniel, the linebacker. He's their core special teams contributor. Uh, so with him suffering a sprained ankle against the Buccaneers in Week 12 and not practicing the date, you can probably uh, expect Darius Harris to see his first action of the season uh, if O'Daniel can't go. The other big news there is uh, Bashad Breeland, their starting cornerback, who uh, Coach Andy Reid said was sent home yesterday with a stomach virus. So, you know, we've seen this illness or stomach issues hit the Chiefs in recent weeks, and they missed one day in their back. So I'm, I'm not too worried about him. The other two uh, injuries of note are Tano Passanio and Martinez Rankin. Uh, both of them were limited. With Rankin, you want to keep an eye on. He was active for the first time this season since coming off the pup list with a knee injury uh, and he showed up as limited with that knee injury on Wednesday's injury report. Tell you whenever you see an injury list these days and, and you see something listed as illness you just freak out don't you I mean it's uh, um, if, it's, if it's not a, a knee or an ankle or a shoulder or, or, or an elbow or whatever it's like oh my god is this um, is this the beginning of something but with uh, with breezy with Breland it looks like uh, just a stomach uh, issue, right? Yeah, correct. And Andy Reid was, was pretty specific about that. As soon as he said illness on Wednesday's Zoom call, he immediately followed up with it's a stomach virus and we sent him home. All right. And I'll, and I'll mention one on the Broncos side. Um, I Listen, I, I might be the only person who really thinks this guy's a good player. Hey, Sam McDowell's joined us. Hey, Sam. What's going on, guys? Good to see hey. you, buddy. Uh, Philip Lindsay, the running back, um, the uh, uh, has has an, is listed as a, with a knee injury. Did not practice on Wednesday. We'll find out later in the week if he, um, uh, you know, if, if he'll be able to go Sunday. I, I've always liked this guy. I, I just think he's a good hard runner. I love his backstory. A um, you know, grew up in. Uh, he's from Denver. Went to went to Colorado and plays for the Broncos. And he's he's done some damage against the Chiefs in the past. And he injured his knee in last Sunday's game against the Saints. Uh, because he was taking wildcat snaps, and uh, and it was in the third quarter, he wrenched his knee on one of those snaps. So we'll see if he's one of four players who did not practice for the Broncos on on, on Wednesday. So 
hey, look, the Broncos have their quarterbacks back. Uh, they got that going for them this week. Drew Locke's going to, uh, you know, we'll be back in the starting role. And we'll, we'll talk more about the Broncos here in, um, in, in a little while. But I wanted to, uh, we've got the rare, well, the rarest of opportunities to talk about a game that, that was played on Wednesday that impacts the Chiefs, right? The Steelers beat the, the Baltimore Ravens 19-14. And uh, allows the Steelers to remain undefeated at eleven and zero. The week is now complete um, in in the NFL. So um, uh, the the Chiefs one game behind Pittsburgh in in the standing. So I I think it's fair to say that uh, whoever ends up first and second between those two teams, there is not dropping to third. They they've got enough distance between. They're going to have enough distance. It's going to be one of those two teams as the as the top seed and. Um, I'll just throw it out there to anybody who uh, wants to answer. Do you, you know, do, do the Chiefs end up catching the Steelers? Um, maybe Herbie, we, we we talked about the remaining schedule for both teams. Um, what do you think? Can the can the Chiefs end up catching the Steelers? I mean, before we went on air, you, you pointed out, and you're correct. You know, of the Steelers' remaining games, three of them are vying for postseason spot. Technically four, if you include Washington and in that garbage show that you call the NFC East. I mean, they have a tough road ahead of them. And when you look at the Chiefs schedule, uh, you got the Broncos this week and then two teams of note, the Dolphins and the Saints in consecutive weeks. And they close out the year against the Falcons and the Chargers. So if the Chiefs continue their trajectory right now, the only two tough games they have no disrespect to Denver, of course, but you know the, it, what projects on paper is the only two tough games they have remaining are the Dolphins and the Saints, whereas the Steelers have to run a gauntlet of sorts against teams vying for a postseason spot. So can the Chiefs catch the, the Steelers? I'm going to say yes. Anybody watch that game yesterday? Uh, two, the 2.40 start uh, central time. Did uh, uh, are, are, we, are we behind the, the concept of Wednesday afternoon football going forward? Yeah, those games are always sloppy. Whenever they play on Wednesday afternoons, it's just <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to get any rhythm in those games. I, I watched it. Um, it was football. It was fun. Um, you know, funish. I guess uh, I, it's, the, the Steelers are a good team, but they shouldn't be eleven or zero. Like they, they should be like a nine and two ish team or eight and three or something like that. But they, I don't like. Them. Here's the thing. Go ahead. Well, I I, I don't think that the um, all season. You know, with the new format, it's like, God, the, the difference between the one seed and the two seed, that's going to be huge. You know, you get the first round by. Um, but now we're looking at it like there's no going to be fans in the stands probably. And you might not even get the first round by um, if they do this, you know, this this 16 team format. So um, I, I'm not sure that it really matters nearly as much as we thought it would before the season. The Steelers lost a big player yesterday in Bud Dupree, and they've already lost yeah. another linebacker earlier this year in Bush. So um, every time I watch the Steelers, I, I, I kind of echoing what Sam said. I'm, I'm shocked that that team's 11 and 0, but um, I think it'd be great if they went 16 and 0 and went into the playoffs undefeated, and then you had you know a, a Chiefs Steelers AFC Championship with the Steelers undefeated. I, I think that would be fantastic. So I'm, I'm hoping it happens. I think you know it, the biggest thing to me is is really because of the reasons uh, Sam Ellinger laid out to begin with, and, and I like the reasons Sam McDowell laid out too, I, I don't want to say it's irrelevant, but I think the key is how the Chiefs are situated, how they're playing going in, right? And I think that's going to matter more. Um, it sure looks like that arc is uh, pointing the right way. Uh, just a couple things. It's, it's a good year for teams in the Steelers division to be playing the NFC East, right? Um, uh, so I, I think that helps – create the the undefeated schedule for for them and better maybe better records than you would normally expect from teams in the in the Steelers division although you know the, the Ravens certainly have had their issues but um uh but but look I I I don't I, I think there is a big difference between the one and the two seed and I the only we the only way we get to a 16 team NFL playoff is if there's a week 18 and the NFL is trying to do everything it can to, to avoid that including starting games on Wednesday afternoon so um, uh, so the difference between the one and the two seed this year is an extra game which was not the case last year as we remember the Chiefs were a two seed and got the 
and got the first round by. So, and then got to play at home after the Patriots, the number one seed loss. So I, we'll see. Um, I, I, I think the chiefs are, I think the chiefs are going to finish 14 and two. And I think the Steelers are also going to finish 14 and two. I think there are a couple of losses ahead for the Steelers and I, I'll, I'll do a better job of understanding the, the, the tiebreakers in that scenario since there was no head-to-head in the regular season between these teams. So um, the, the few things that I've seen are that um, the, the Chiefs would end up being the number one seed just because of strength of schedule issues and um, th- that sort of thing. So we'll, we'll see. We'll have to see. All right, what about um, – Let's let's go back to Tampa Bay really quick. And I, I'll tell you what I wanted to focus on here is 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 you know, we we spent a lot of time talking about Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and the first quarter that they had. I got to tell you, one of my lasting impressions of the game at Tampa Bay was the very last possession of the Chiefs. They got the ball back with uh, with the twenty seven twenty four lead and four ten on the clock, and we have seen in the past. The Chiefs and, and a lot of other teams just go, you know, run, run, burn the clock, get it down as, as, as tight as you can, and then and then leave it to your defense to 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 stop the opponent and and to win the game. Chiefs didn't do that, did not do that, and I I got to tell you, I was um, as big a game as Tyreek Hill and Patrick Mahomes had. I may have been as impressed with that final possession as uh, as anything the Chiefs did on Sunday. Anybody with me on that? Hell yeah. Yeah, I, I thought it was um, <laughs> like the, the tendency to just call that aggressive, right? To, to throw it on second down, to throw it on third down when you know that you can punt it. They're out of timeouts. You can punt it and give them the ball around the 10-yard line, let's say, with it would have been about 25 seconds left. Um, so the tendency is to say like throwing second down, throwing it third down is aggressive. I think it was smart. You know, I just think like you just look at the cold numbers and, and that was in your favor uh, to be able to kill the clock there, especially with um, God. Now I can't Carlton Davis. Is that his name? The, yeah. the, the poor, the poor fella, um, especially with, with him just off man coverage on third and seven. He was so terrified that, that he was playing like that. Um, you know, just that, that comeback along the sideline. It, it's a lot of trust in your quarterback and receiver, but my goodness, if you're going to put trust in any quarterback and receiver combination in football, that's a pretty good one to do. Blair, the only thing I'd add really is like you had to have all the stuff that happened before that, right? The prelude to it to set it up. But, you know, some of that stuff is the razzle dazzle or the, the dynamic stuff we'll remember. But really, the meat and potatoes of the win was that last 410. And um, what's kind of interesting is, of course, we've been over this uh, a fair amount of times in the last couple of years, but the range of uh, Patrick Mahomes' repertoire that we got to see. even in that little bit at the end. I mean, that really spoke to the, the, the substance of his game as well as um, obviously the, the flash that he can, he can show in any given moment. I'll tell you what, um, uh, a couple of things that just diving into that possession, uh, the, 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 the um, Mahomes legs, you know, he picked up two first downs running on second down. So I think at that point, um, you know, the, the Bucks have to still kind of respect Mahomes' ability to throw the ball and the way the Chiefs lined up. It looked like maybe, you know, they were, uh, were going to end up throwing it, and Mahomes just kept the ball and, and, um, and, and picked up two, the first two first downs with his legs, and both of those were on second down. So it didn't get to a third and pressure situation early in that possession. And, um, and then when they got to the third and – what was it, third and seven – uh, there, the, 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 you know, there is pressure, right? You got to pick it up here. Cause even, even at third and seven, the, um, and there's still before the, I believe we're still inside. No, no, we're past the two minute warning, but plenty of time chiefs would have had to have punted it away. Plenty of time for the bucks at that point. But, um, they, they run a, an interesting play, you know, Mahomes rolls to his left, Tyreek Hill, uh, the, the big threat all day ends up, you know, catching an eight-yard pass and goes down, stays in bounds, smartly stays in bounds to, to keep the clock rolling, and, and, they, um, uh, and, and they run out the clock, take the knee, go into victory formation. So I don't know. Is it, is it the evolution of Andy Reid and the clock? I, I don't know. There have been times. Look, I remember the Ravens game a couple of years ago where they had a, a third and six pass. To, I think it was to Daryl Williams to, uh, to keep a drive, the, the last possession alive. So 
Uh, it's, it's happened before, but uh, I, I just, and, and it worked. That's the other thing. It worked. And, um, and so we're, we're, we're heaping praise on, on that final possession. If it doesn't work, then you're, you know, at least they tried. Right. And uh, again, I, I just think that was, uh, that, that was a, uh, a big, obviously a big moment in the game and just a great sign for, uh, for the chiefs going forward. If they find themselves in this situation, the question is, should they have found themselves in this situation? I mean, they, they get, they're up 17 to nothing and, um, they, they, they had two interceptions in the second half and went three and out after both of them. I, I don't, I don't know if, um, one of those of course was the, uh, the, the misfire from Mahomes to Hardman that would have been a touchdown. So, um, uh, so at least they, they were, t- you know, taking shots on that. But I, I, I think on that, uh, after the second interception, the one by, you know, uh, Tyron Matthew on, off the deflection, uh, I thought they got a little conservative there and had a chance to put the game away and, and did not do it. And anyway, it came down to that final possession for, for the chiefs. Um, let's, uh, let, let's talk a little bit about Tyron, Ma- about, uh, about Tyreek Hill in his game. Look, we, Sam McDowell, you wrote about it afterwards. And, um, I, I guess to me, the, the sort of the, the follow-up to that is, is it, um, uh, it, he seems to, uh, still have a little bit of a chip on his shoulder when it comes to being uh, discussed as the game's top wide receiver. It's just you could tell in his post-game um, meeting with reporters, you know, it, it's a couple little things came out that he still thinks about, you know, uh, perceived slights in the past. But uh, uh, I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I think if the, if the all-pro team were picked today, Tyreek Hill would absolutely be a wide receiver, first-team wide receiver. You know, the, the difference in these Zoom call interviews versus locker room interviews is is pretty significant, but maybe the only guy that we get a lot better stuff out of this year is Tyreek Hill. His, his quotes and his comments this year have been significantly better than at least obviously last year was my first year on the beat, and you guys would know the history beyond that. Um, but Tyreek Hill's been really good for, for us this year, and his comments after that game were at, at times really hilarious. I mean – um, he's like you mentioned, he's still upset that Jalen Ramsey called him a return specialist in 2018. And even at the time, Ramsey kind of mentioned he was just he was just trying to needle him a little bit before the game. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we, we've talked about the evolution of Tyree Kill quite a bit on this show. And um, he's just he's come a long way from from being the guy that you handed the ball off to in the backfield. Sometimes you ran some reverses to or you just threw it deep to him. I mean, he's developed the, the shortened and intermediate game in a way that you would like to see McCall Hardman to develop, frankly, that, that hasn't quite happened yet, which shows you the difficulty of it. You know, I mean, Tyree Kill is, he's more than just a guy that can run a fly pattern now. You know, what's interesting about Tyree, to Sam's point, you know, one of the first things that really impressed me about him, this was early when he was just the guy running the fly patterns was his ability to track the deep ball that, that a difference, between him and say Chris Conley, Chris Conley, I always thought had, had, had trouble with that. And then it sort of started filling in from there. And then there were glimpses. This has been a couple of years now, right? Glimpses where you saw the incredible footwork on a sideline catch, um, just the good hands. He's obviously got great, just sort of nimble agility of uh, anticipation of the ball now. And an understanding of the route tree. I, I think that that for a while, all those things were, questioned long after they had actually started taking place. And, and I think any of us that have seen him regularly these last few years, um, it, you're not surprised by any of that, but uh, rarely do you see it all come together in one in one quarter like it did last week. Yeah, that's a great point about his ability to track the deep ball because I, I didn't mention that, but he's, he's a short guy, but he catches so many balls in traffic now that, I mean, you mentioned Chris Conley. It, Chris Conley's a, a journalism fan, so he's probably watching the program and just got dissed on here for no reason. Um, he's smart. But, he's smart. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I think that's a great point about his ability to track the deep ball because, obviously, we know they, they, they try that pattern with him a lot, and he, he seems to come down with the ball in traffic quite a bit, especially for a guy his size. There's no discernible weakness is the thing. Like uh, He's short, but he can high point a ball. Like You can almost throw him a jump ball because of his vertical and his ability to anticipate um, the footwork, I think was the last thing to come. 
with him as a receiver. He was a little bit sloppy, um, like his first year or two, which is understandable. He, he was a running back uh, in college for the most part. Uh, but he, he's gotten really precise with his footwork. And, um, I mean, there's just – there's no weakness. Um, he's just a terrific player. I hate yeah. the fade, but I would love to see him start throwing fades to Tyree Kill just for entertainment value. <laughs> One thing that's just kind of funny for some reason, I just thought of this. I, I uh, got some high school footage of him once when I was visiting with one of his high school coaches, and it just looked like, you know, nobody else could compete with him. Like he was a college player against, you know, Little League. And there were moments, there have been moments in the NFL where it's like, yeah, they just can't compete with him. I mean, it, it it's kind of amazing actually how he stands out. I, I often in wonder situations in particular, right? I mean, that's a big part of it. What was he? T- he's a fifth round pick, right? Um, and and I often wonder if he'd ended up with a team coached by someone other than Andy Reid, what he would be, or what other teams would try to have done with him. Uh, because obviously, in college, they didn't at the three schools that he attended: the junior college, Oklahoma State, and Division II, uh, Western Alabama. They didn't know what to do with him, right? He played as much running back as as wide receiver, probably more than at wide receiver. And, of course, he was always, always a return specialist. He personally beat Oklahoma uh, the year that uh, he played at Oklahoma State. So um, if, if not for Andy Reid and, and, the, and the offensive minds, uh, Eric Bannemi and others recognizing, you know, that he could, you know, that he could develop into a terrific route runner and uh, in, in his hands have always been really good, right, and recognizing that he could be used as a weapon on the outside. I who knows if he had been drafted by by someone else? And and really, when you take a guy in the fifth round, he absolutely could have been drafted by, um, you know, several other teams. Others, you know, most teams stayed away because of the off field problems, um, but but not the Chiefs. And 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 full credit for for Reed, Bieniemy, and the and the and the coaching staff to get what they're getting out of Tyreek Hill. Blair, we've we've thought about this in different forms, but you're making me think of this now. It's really interesting to project. I think Sam Mellinger was just talking about this or maybe even included it in something he wrote. Project what Patrick would be with average receivers. But the the reverse is kind of interesting to pre- think about too. How would how would Kelsey and Hill be with an average quarterback? I mean, the, the I guess the point really is the the co- combination is what's astounding. Well, we did see that, um, and however you want to uh, define Alex Smith, right? Um, uh, average to above average, I think the the Chiefs got uh, a lot of out of Alex Smith, but um, uh, both of them put up good numbers with, with with Smith, and we know how Kelsey has always felt about uh, about Alex Smith. So, um, but it, the, the the combination has obviously taken the Chiefs over over the top. Hey, we were talking about the offensive line a little while ago. Uh, Herbie, maybe you can you can check in. Terrence Warnell Robinson wants to know if if we expect any changes in the offensive line down the stretch. I know Andy Reid mentioned this yesterday that um, that he he likes the job that Mike Remmers has been doing. But uh, what do you think? Is there is there any evolution here in in the offensive line in the final few games? I think if anything, if, if the Chiefs do anything, it, it wouldn't surprise me one bit if Stephen Wisniewski is called up. Uh, before the end of the season, <clears throat> I don't know if the, I don't know if they're one hundred percent satisfied with their guard situation. Uh, and, and when you look at Wisniewski, he supplanted Andrew Wiley last year as a starter. So you know when you have Wisniewski on the practice squad, uh, and the guy that you were you know that he he took over last year and is, is still starting. I mean, maybe it makes more sense to to keep Wiley at right guard and maybe put Wisniewski at left left guard because. You remember last year when he made it to the starting lineup, that, that rushing attack took off down the stretch and carried into the playoffs. So if they make any moves, it's probably going to be Wisniewski coming up to the active roster. As far as Mitchell Schwartz is concerned, I know a lot of people are asking about him as well. Uh, you know, we, we asked Andy Reid yesterday what his status was, and we got the, the typical we'll see. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's a back injury, so we don't know when – He'll be coming back, and it's really going to depend on how he feels. He was placed on injured reserve on November the 21st, so he's only still in the second week. And with the the COVID rules and injured reserve this year, he has to stay at least three weeks. So he's got another week there before a full evaluation comes into play. And Bo Hayes asks uh, when maybe we should expect to see DeAndre Baker. Any any thought on that? 
I don't know if, if you bring him up, who's he going to supplant as well? I mean, the, the, the Chiefs have one of the NFL's top pass defenses with what they're rolling with right now. I mean, yeah, I think he could probably provide you depth, uh, but I don't think he's really going to help out immediately, especially with the pieces they have in place. Ward, uh, Fenton, Legereus Sneed, and, and of course, Breland. And then you have Bo Peak Keys on the active roster. Maybe you maybe you can take Bo Peak Keys' place, but I don't think you, you put him in the starter right now. I think you raised some eyebrows, Herbie, when you said one of the best pass defenses in the NFL, given what's what we've seen from a uh, pass rushing standpoint here in the last few games. Um, hey, 10 against the pass, man. <laughs> that, that's right. No, that, that that's exactly right. And I, uh, you know, the Bucks punted four their first punted away their first four possessions on uh, on, on Sunday. That's not to you know that. I think I made the, the point after the game that the Raiders punted a total of four times in the two games that they played against the Chiefs. So uh, Chiefs also had two interceptions, uh, getting some pressure on, uh, on on Tom Brady on Sunday. Nevertheless, um, uh, the pass rush still remains to the, the, the question, I think, on, on the minds of most, most people who follow the Chiefs. And um, it just it, it just hasn't been there the way that it has been in the past in terms of sack numbers now, Andy Reid and Steve Spagnuolo will continue to tell us that it's not about the sack numbers. It's about affecting the quarterback, affecting his, you know, his footwork. And, and, um, and, just, uh, and the Chiefs did that to some extent against Tom Brady. He ended up with some fantastic numbers, uh, 345 passing and, uh, and, and, and moved the Bucks at ease after they, after they did fall behind in the first quarter. But to what extent should the Chiefs be concerned about not getting home with, with Chris Jones and Frank Clark? I, I think this is the biggest uh, current concern that the Chiefs have. Um, I, I, think it, I, I think it's a bigger concern than, than anything else you, you can bring up, including the pass protection. Um, they're just not and, – and by the way, Spagnolo and, and Reed, they're absolutely right. Like that's, it, It's just about pressure. Um, sacks are great. Um, nobody's going to, you know, turn their nose at sacks, but it's just about pressure. And right now they're not getting any. And I know Sam McDowell, I think, is, is looking into maybe writing something later this week. Sam, I, I'm not sure, but um, I'll have something on the website today or tomorrow. Um, it comes down to, if you watch, the, this is one of those spots where the film and, and the numbers line up. And, and the eye test, I would say. I, I think Chris Jones is doing a good job. Chris Jones is getting doubled a lot. Um, teams are throwing two blockers, chipping him, doing all these things. And he still wins sometimes. Frank Clark, he's got a they got to get more out of Frank Clark. Um, the Bucks, I don't know that they doubled Frank Clark more than once or twice. And, and Tristan Wurst is a good player, uh, but it didn't matter whether he was lined up over the left tackle, right tackle. They were just letting one blocker take care of Frank Clark. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, um, you know, that was enough. They've got to get more out of him. Because once he comes, you know, now, now maybe you got to double him. And now that opens some, some things up for Okafor or some other guys like that. So I think, you know, it's an oversimplification, but they need a lot more out of Frank Clark than they're getting right now. Yeah, I mean, when, when you watch the film of Frank Clark, to me, he 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 lacks the explosion that we saw at times last year. You know, um, and, and Sam of I, Sam of I, and I have talked about this offline, but he, to me, he he's he's sort of waddling a little bit. He's not. He doesn't have that sort of explosive straight to the quarterback moves that we saw from him last year, and that obviously the Chiefs saw a lot of the, on the film when he was with Seattle. Um, but to me, it's not just Frank Clark, it's the other guys too. And I, I mentioned this after Sunday's game, but the other guys outside of those two combined for 28 sacks last year. They've, you know, they, they had one more on um, Sunday against the Bucks with, with the split sack between Okafor and Dana. But that group right now has nine sacks in 11 games. And that's just, it's, it's not good enough. With the attention Chris Jones is getting in the middle, there, there's openings for other guys, and, and nobody else is winning one on, one on one right now. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, it's Blair. We have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners, unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Stars award-winning sports coverage. 
Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns presented on the KansasCity.com site, and it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. Your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50 unless you tell us to cancel. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. You know, this, this part of the Chiefs game was uh, was really improving about this time last year, right? The final five, six games of the regular season and then in, into the playoffs. So I think that's where, uh, you know, where, where Chiefs followers are, are kind of shaking their heads and wondering if, it, if it's ever going to get there. My question is, <laughs> the way that, the, the way that it played, uh, pass rush played at the end of last year and through the playoffs, um, it seems to you know, I think you could make the case that the Chiefs got what they wanted to get out of Frank Clark. Um, they, they, they won a Super Bowl, right? They, yeah. they, they gave him a big contract and they won a Super Bowl. So I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to suggest that he's, you know, he's a different player this year because of that. There, you know, he, he's had medical problems. We, we know he's had the, you know, the, the issues, um, uh, through, he had him in Seattle and he, and he's had, he had him here last season. Uh, and maybe, and look, he's a veteran too. Maybe he's saving his, his body for the postseason, knowing that the chiefs are, are going to be there. There's just no way they're not going to be in the post, obviously not going to be in the postseason. So, um, I, I'm, I'm just trying to think of reasons why the, the, the situation is as it is this year. And, and Sam Ellinger, I absolutely agree with you that uh, Chris Jones is absolutely getting pressure. If you look at the pro football focus numbers, he's, I think he's fourth in the, in the NFL among at, at his position in getting pressures. So, um, you know, he's, he's, he's doing his job. Uh, so they I don't think know. he's he having, as, they think he's having as good a year as he, as, as he's ever had, you know, right up there with his second, third and fourth. I mean, they, they, they think Chris Jones has been Chris Jones this year. Well, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, go ahead, Sam. Well, I mean, I was, he's getting doubled like on half of, half of his pass rushes. And, and he's still beating those doubles, um, basically at like an Aaron Donald-esque rate. So, you know, that's not the issue. The one thing, one really quick thing about Frank Clark, he absolutely could be carrying an injury um, th- that he's not talking about and they're not talking about or whatever. That's absolutely on the table. The other thing, um, we've talked about this before. This is an hindsight. That, that the pass rush last year, and Frank Clark in particular, had this knack for coming up in big moments. And I don't know if that was luck or scheme or what. But it was a clutch pass rush, if there is such a thing. Um, the thing that's concerned, and then that could be happening again and setting up for this postseason. But the thing that's kind of concerning, wouldn't you think that that Bucks game would be one that that they'd be up for, you know? And yeah. and they needed it too, um, and they needed it, and they didn't get it. That's that's what's concerning. Sorry, bye. No, the only thing I was going to throw in was just sort of a pining for uh, yesteryear. It, it, if if memory serves right, it was about a year ago. Right now where uh, Sam McDowell, the, the Frank Clark whisperer, got him to open up in Mexico City about his, about his neck injury. And, and I think that was in Mexico City, wasn't it, Sam? And, and, and it was after the, uh, the Titans game. Yeah, Titans, oh, after the Titans game. Okay. But it just uh, – it was it, it, all this is making me think of how, how much um, we enjoy the, the benefit of talking to these guys in the locker room, obviously, right, in a way that we, we just can't right now with the Zoom calls. And Frank Clark – I think was one of those guys opposite Tyree kill. He, he, in a lot of ways is much better to talk to in the locker by his locker uh, than, than he ever is on these rare zoom calls. We get him on, you know, one more point about the, the pass rush though, is they haven't put themselves in the, you know, especially when you, when you talk about the, those clutch situations, they haven't put themselves in, in great chances to, to get those sacks. And what I mean by that is, Against the Raiders, for example, I think they held them to 11 third down plays and only one of them was more than six yards. So the playbook is too open in those situations. When it's third and two, third and three, third and four, the playbook is too open for the Chiefs just to be able to tee off on the edges and in the middle. They, they, they need to put themselves in better situations on first and second down to allow the pass rush to know absolutely this team's passing. We're coming for the quarterback on this play. It, to the injury point on Frank Clark that Melly brought up, I, I think the last time 
Frank Clark landed on the weekly injury report was week nine when he, when he showed up with a knee injury and he didn't practice on that Wednesday. But ever since then, he's been, he hasn't been listed. So he's going, that, that indicates not only is he doing stretching and conditioning and individual position drills, he's going through a full practice. And if, if you're hurt, then, you know, you obviously you have to, the team is obligated to list you. I don't know how you can hide that. But, you know, he hasn't been listed on the injury report since week nine. Well, he wasn't last year. I mean, when he when he mentioned the pinched nerve injury, he hadn't been appearing on the injury report up until that point. Okay, we've mentioned a couple times uh, the you know the situation that we all find ourselves in in post game press conferences. They're all done this way, right on on Zoom, and uh, we're doing visually like this, um, or virtually, I should say, which is visual, but. Uh, um, one thing that I have found interesting and fun after Chiefs games uh, has been the question to Patrick Mahomes. It's usually to Mahomes. I think one time it was to Kelsey. What was the name of the play? You know, that's uh, uh, that's always been fun, right? And I, I forgot who asked it last week uh, about the, the the Philly special, uh, the the reverse double reverse Travis Kelsey pass that was deflected and did not go to Mahomes for his first NFL receiving touchdown. But um, but anyway, we, we we found out it was the Black Pearl in honor of uh, Pirates of the Caribbean and, and the Buck Stadium, the ship that's at the Buck Stadium. We've had uh, uh, a couple other fun names. What Ferrari Wright and what was what was the one in Vegas? Slot, slot, slot machine right. Slot machine right, and I, I, I forgot what the Baltimore the underhanded pass in Baltimore was. Um, Smoke sausage. Smoke sausage. sausage. Thank you, because it went to Anthony Sherman. Anyway, you know. First of all, if I were a fifth grade teacher in Kansas City, I'd have my kids coming up with all kinds of names <laughs> and plays. And uh, but I, but I give the Chiefs a lot of credit for uh, for the originality of these names. And Sam McDowell, you wrote about this good story in today's um, on KansasCity.com right now. Just what these plays do for the Chiefs in a season, and I you know in in a season that's just been bizarre in in so many ways it's it's not really a normal a sense of normalcy but it is a, a a slice of fun that the chiefs have i think they have fun naming these plays i think they have fun in practice you know working them out taking them to coach reed it just it all seems of you know kids having fun and um uh tell us what you discovered in, in writing about it yeah, I think it suggests quite a bit about um, obviously the relationship between Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, but also uh, a lot about each of them as individuals, because we know that Patrick Mahomes came up with Ferrari, right, by kind of goofing around at practice after, you know, one of the sessions while the special teams was going on. And he's just running in motion and asked tight ends coach Tom Melvin, hey, am I even allowed to do this? And for, you know, he's got to convince Andy Reid to put it in. And let's, I mean, we all know this. Andy Reid does not need help coming up with plays he's got we've heard about his stack of note cards like he's got plenty of plays but for him to still take a suggestion from his quarterback and then beyond that you know I think Patrick Mahomes probably thought hey I got my play in this week you know I came up with that trick play and we got it in and Andy Reid has created like a whole collection of plays out of this one trick play we, we thought we had seen it once and that that was it and now we've seen two more iterations of it that have been you know, further trick plays. And I, I, I mentioned this in the story, but I just kind of laugh at the fact that there's probably a team out there, you know, say the Broncos this week that are watching film thinking we have to prepare now for the quarterback to potentially be in motion before the snap. And Oh, by the way, they know that whatever they're going to prepare for it hasn't been shown on film yet because they're not going to run one of the three plays they've already run. If they, if they throw Patrick Mahomes in motion this week, it's going to be something else we haven't seen yet. Can I go old man journalist real quick? Please. Kids like Sam McDowell are, are too young to know this, but there was a time when the Chiefs ran ridiculous plays and a journalist who wanted to know the name of it had to go down to the locker room and get rejected <laughs> by two, three, maybe four people who didn't, didn't trust him with the secret <laughs> until he promised he found a friendly offensive lineman and he said, please, I need to know the name of this play where you guys threw it to Dontari Poe, a 340-pound nose tackle. And he said, they'll kill me. And I said, I won't use your name. And he said, Hungry Pig Right. And that's how journalism used to be done <laughs> around the Chiefs. Now, all these Zoom calls, they just say, yeah, Ferrari Right, write it down. I was, I was, th I was thinking of that exactly. 
And I was thinking of poor Sam Mellinger having that taken out of his toolkit because it used to be the guy breaking that story week in and week out. And now they're just giving it away like candy. It's really sad. I got to find something else now. I remember being in that Oakland Raiders, that, that the, the cramped Oakland Raiders locker room going from player to player and then looking behind me, Sam's still talking to Don Terry Poe. What, what's going on? <laughs> that, my, I, I don't know how many times I've been more excited to write a column than, than, than when I heard Hungry Pig write. I was just <laughs> over the moon. Absolutely over the world. Well, I remember walking back up uh, or go going in the uh, you know waiting the twenty minutes to, for the elevator at Oakland, and and you were just kind of jumping this giddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So the same look he had in his eye when the opportunity to talk to Dustin Colquitt about Marcus Peters punning. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, quick, quick aside, I, I wanted to add to something about the, something that Sam McDowell got into a little bit real quick. Um, it's I think the kicker quote in your column, Sam, one thing that's kind of been interesting. Uh, Andy Reid didn't quite explicitly say this yesterday, but he he there's no doubt he was talking. To, he started talking about the grind and how hard this is. And you don't want to make a mockery of, you know, plays that aren't going to work. But absolutely, he was saying we need to have some fun out there to break it up. I mean, I, I thought he said that in sort of a different way and, and didn't quite go all the way with saying it, but I, but I, I made a point there. Yeah, he was, he was asked about that and, and that sort of elicited that answer. So for me, that one was kind of difficult for me to tell whether that was his own thought or because the question led him there. Yeah, but, I, oh, but I, I think there's absolutely th that's a window into Andy's way. Um, I don't know if this is what you're, what you're saying about him, but like, yeah. I, I think that Andy's got this incredible like one of his great he's got a lot of strengths, but one of his great strengths is getting a buy in from his players and, and you know, them giving the extra two percent or whatever. And they feel empowered and they feel invested. They feel part of it in a way that just doesn't exist when a coach is sort of dictating. You know, like Andy is sort of um, he's willing to be led by the players that he's leading. And and I think that requires like uh, a lack of ego. It requires, you know, sort of a, a genuine disinterest in the credit, um, which I think Andy's had from day one. Um, he takes no credit. He wants all the blame. Like that's, you know, a lot of coaches can say that <laughs> and say they're about that. But Andy, you know, lives that life. And I think the players notice that because if that if that play um, the only reason we know Black Pearl and the only reason we know that, um, you know, Patrick had a hand in this because he volunteered that. Um, if that play blows up and it's terrible, Andy Reid is the first one. That was my idea. That's my bad. I got to put the guys in a better situation. Um, when it works, then it's, you know, that's something that Patrick came to me with. That's something that the guys came to me with. And, and I, I think that part of it matters. And that's like a, a um, you know, kind of a telling window into how he operates. And I've been crediting Eric Bianami and Mike Kafka particularly this year a lot. Yes. It seems on boys. Yeah. And I was going to say, I bet he, he cuts off all, if, if a play fails, if, if Carlton Davis intercepts the ball, right? Uh, I, I bet Andy cuts off any conversation about it uh, when he speaks first at a post-game press conference. So it never even comes up with, with, with the other players, with the players. So, okay, we've avoided talking about the Broncos for damn near 45 minutes. I, I don't think we can continue to do that. Um, Bahe, you listened in on on uh, Broncos uh, teleconference yesterday with Dick Angio and Drew Locke. Um, it, it seems like Locke was apologetic. We know he's fine. We also seemed apologetic for the events that occurred last week that caused that embarrassing moment for the Denver Broncos. He he was, and he but he was very interesting. Like you know, Vic Fangio called into question the leadership of the quarterbacks. And Drew kind of can't help himself, had to kind of make a point that they were trying to show leadership by doing the extra thing, working out on Tuesday, and then caught himself and said, you know, but we, we have to keep the mask on the whole time. Uh, it was it was just interesting hearing him uh, uh, talk about it. Absolutely, he's, he's embarrassed. Um, it was interesting to have him talk about his mom's uh, Twitter defense of him. Um, he had kind of a sheepish grin as he took it on, but, but he, he, he got into it for a minute or two. Uh, I tried to see if uh, Laura and Andy uh, might want to talk yesterday, but uh, Andy Locke said uh, he, he thought they might want to sit this out. Um, 
But I did share with them something I put in the column that I, I felt a certain relatability from my mom running out on the field once when I got hurt in the game and um, not liking it much at the time, um, but feeling better about it today. <laughs> can, can you say more on that? <laughs> Expand on that. Um, well, the, the, the bottom line was uh, it was a head-to-head collision, seeing stars, but I really hurt my shoulder. And I was just kind of flopped there. This is ninth grade back in Swarthmore, PA, eighth grade back in Swarthmore, PA. And I'm really in pain. And I look up and I see her face and I'm like, oh, my God, I, this is this is just taking a terrible turn. What is she doing out here? And uh, <laughs> next thing I know, she, she I'm, I'm going to the hospital. She's taking me to the hospital with my little brother. Uh, didn't seem to be much broader health care at that time. And it was some kind of rotator cuff injury. But. I was mad at her for about two weeks, um, but I wasn't an NFL quarterback having my mom uh, on the stage across the world. So I think Drew loves his mom and does appreciate the defense, but it probably was a little awkward for him. The What was the, because the big thing for me is what's the aftermath like for Drew Locke, not just in his own locker room, but also on the field. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Chris Jones mentioned it this week, if he's able to sack him. Um <laughs> Oh, I'd be surprised if he doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> Your mom now. <laughs> and Chris Jones has been a little chirpy lately, too, uh, as, as we know. Um, Late, lately? <laughs> well, yeah. right. We're, at least where the TV cameras have caught him. Um, yeah. So, all right, let's uh, – I won't ask for final score predictions for Chiefs Broncos, but it's back up on the uh, on the Vegas lines. It was off for a couple of days because of the uncertainty of the quarterback situation. Now that we know that, uh, that the Broncos quarterbacks are back, Chiefs are, uh, are a 14-point favorite at home. Before I ask you to answer the question, do the Chiefs cover, um, I, I want to read this. This is the game that they played – it was week seven. I can't remember where – uh, what the week was. I love how the NFL just, you know, capital W week, you know, this is week 13 or so. Anyway, um, that day chiefs win 43, uh, 16 Broncos, uh, had a beaten first downs, 24, 17 total yards, four eleven to two eighty six. chiefs were zero for eight on third downs that game. Broncos had, uh, 33 and a half minutes of possession time, a big advantage there. Mahomes threw one touchdown pass in that game. It was Tyreek Hill in the fourth quarter. So um, I I concluded from that that the Broncos actually had a pretty good game plan against the Chiefs in that game that was blown up by Byron Pringle's 102-yard touchdown uh, return, uh, kickoff return for a touchdown, and the Dan Sorensen uh, pick six. So with that in mind, that the, the Broncos uh, – had that type of success against uh, the Chiefs in terms of a game plan. Broncos, uh, 14-point underdog on on, on Sunday night football. Uh, Sam McDowell, who you got? I I think the Chiefs will cover. I mean, when you look at this recent series history, especially since Drew Locke took over, I mean, I think in the last three games, the Chiefs have outscored them 96-25. to And I just, I don't see a reason necessarily for that changing on Sunday. Okay, Vahe, what do you think? Yeah, I, I'm with Sam. I mean, it's just the way it's trending. I also think um, the, the Chiefs know all the things you just said. I think they're incentivized to to um, demonstrate they, they they can play better than that against the Broncos, which sounds funny when they beat them 43 to 16. But but I, I think the Chiefs' offense will uh, will be in gear. Um, so I, I like them to cover. Hey Herbie, how about you? Yeah, unless Kendall Hinton is. is Forced to start at quarterback again for the Broncos. Yeah, they're, they're going to cover this game. 14 and a half. Take the over. Belly, what do you think? I'll be the hater. Um, I, I don't even know if I necessarily believe this, but uh, I, I just feel like what are the Chiefs doing here? Like, I, I just don't know. They just played the Bucs and Brady and all that. You know, it's Sunday night, and I think that actually matters for this group. Um, but other than that, I just, I don't know. It feels like it'll be like a sloppy seven or ten point win. I, I agree with that, and and with the, with the Broncos staying, you know, focused. Drew Locke playing in Kansas City, um, it may be a, you know, a, a late touchdown to make it a, you know, a thirty four twenty three type of game. That's I think the Broncos cover. So, uh, but but the Chiefs win. So um, they've been favored. They've been favored uh, by double digits in every home game this season. 
um, but five games overall. And uh, they're they're three and two in games where they've been favored by double digits. Yeah, when the when the Dolphins come to town, that'll be probably the only home game this year that the Chiefs will not be favored by double digits. That's stunning for the NFL. Yeah, it's crazy. Different times, man. Different times. I think it, I think this is like the sixth time this year that the Chiefs have had the biggest line in the NFL. Okay, guys, uh, great chatting with you. Uh, thanks, everybody, for weighing in with your questions and comments. And please, please join us. Uh, stay up late on Sunday because these guys will uh, for a little post-game Sports Beat Live. So for, for Sam, Sam, Vahe, and Herbie, and our producer, Beth Welsh, uh, take care, and we'll talk to you again on Sunday. That'll do it for today. Thanks to our production staff of Derek Donovan, Beth Welsh, Randy Mason, Jeff Rosen, Chris Fickett, and Savannah Smith. A tip of the cap to Sam Mellinger, Vahe Gregorian, Herbie Teope, and Sam McDowell for Talking Chiefs. You can find their stories in the show notes and on KansasCity.com. Hey, we've got another deal for you, especially for those who want to deep dive into the Stars' terrific Chiefs coverage. For a limited time, you can subscribe to Sports Pass for 99 cents a month. That's right, 99 pennies a month. After three months, it auto-renews at $5.99 a month unless you cancel. How do you get it? You go to kansascity.com slash sportspass2020. That's kansascity.com slash sportspass2020. Do you want more than just sports coverage? I know I do. Check out the entire Kansas City Star product. Sports news features, commentary, and analysis, the whole thing. You get all the stories written by my talented colleagues, plus additional news, sports, and business coverage with the E-Edition. The details for all of these deals can be found at account kansascity.com slash subscribe if you're having trouble hunting down any of these offers send me an email at bkirkoff at kcstar.com and I'll get you to the right place so whether it's the sports pass or the full subscription you're getting and supporting the best sports and news coverage in Kansas City and helping us produce programs like Sports BKC thanks for listening and we'll be back on Friday with another episode <laughs>